It's Wired, the Pistons podcast, presented by Keith. Here's your host, Matt Derry. Hey, thanks for joining us, everybody. Let's do this. Another edition of Wired, the Pistons podcast. Thanks for joining us. Presented to you by Jeep. Again, as Mason said, Matt Derry with you. Thanks for tuning in as the Pistons continue to uh, gear up for what is coming down the pike. The NBA Draft Combine 2019 in Chicago in a couple of weeks, May 14th through the 19th. Then we'll get close to the draft at June 20th. Of course, free agency and everything else in Summer League. And then the Pistons, right before you know it, before you know it, we'll be back in the court for preseason games in September and the open to the season 2019-20 in October. Thanks for tuning in on Wired. Keith Langloy will join us from Pistons.com. He's been covering this team for a very long time. Does an excellent job for the website. We kind of want to do a, a feature and a focus today on the podcast, which you hear weekly here on Pistons.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, what's next? What is next for this basketball team after winning 41 games? After going to the postseason and getting into the playoffs and getting a taste of playoff action, only to be uh, swept out by Milwaukee and have to go through you know, the entire Blake Griffin question, the entire series about the knee and everything else, and Blake undergoing some minor surgery to get that knee cleaned up as he gets ready for next year. But there's a lot of questions about what's next. Uh, how much free agency money do the Pistons have? Not much. They've got that just over $9 million mid-level exception that they can use. They've got the 15th overall pick in the first round and in the draft to use. A first-round pick that they did not have a year ago. But with contracts like Langston Galloway, John Lohr, and Reggie Jackson all on the books, which they've publicly said has sort of... And they're not specifically talking about players, but Arntellum, Ed Stefanski, everybody in the front office has publicly talked about how when they took over, when this regime took over, they knew they would be a little bit hamstrung with some of these contracts. And then when Galloway, Lauren Jackson come off the books after next season, then we're talking free agency, then we're talking playing with money and, and more roster flexibility. And that's the discussion we had and will have with Keith Langloy, Keith Langloy coming up right now, right here on Wired. All right, it's our pleasure to be joined by our very own Keith Langloy. Pistons.com has covered this team for many, many years and kind of doing a what is next for this team as we are into the offseason now and the playoffs still rolling along. Keith, uh, always a pleasure. Thanks, Matt. How you been? Uh, doing well. It's always, uh, you know, season ends and you kind of don't know what to do with yourself for a few days and <laughs> then you uh, start, start gearing back up to uh, do exactly that. What's next? You know, you look ahead, and first of all, whether fans want to admit it or not, or want to talk this way, I, you know, the Pistons. Nobody's moving the goalposts here. The Pistons' goal was to make the playoffs. They did. Uh, how would you kind of characterize though the ending here, and and, and now that you've turned the page from from 2018, 2019? Well, yeah. I mean, Dwayne Casey came in, and uh, you know, he, he had the roster he had. He didn't have a lot of flexibility. They had a lot of a lot of guys, uh, you know, with, with existing contracts carrying over. So it's not like the, you know, Dwayne Casey came in new, but <laughs> excuse me, um, it, it, it was it was not necessarily the the roster uh, of his choosing, um, which happens to a lot of coaches. It, it's, and that's what he said. It's a process. It's a process on a lot of different fronts. Installing the system is a process. Having the roster turn over to kind of meld with his system as a process, and uh, you know they 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 were at least 
satisfied that they took a lot of steps on many fronts this year and foremost with that kind of like getting his system in place getting everyone familiar with it and as he said over and over and over again building good habits and they they think they did that i would uh I don't want to get too far ahead of us because I imagine we're going to talk about Blake Griffin here, but he was a big part of that, really. Griffin's buy-in with Casey and his leadership. And, and you know, I think a lot of people, when the Pistons acquired Blake, were kind of it, it, intrigued, but then wondering, is how is he going to really respond to being here? But, you know, he's answered all of those questions. He's been just, uh, you know, he, he's all in. He, he's really all in, and he's made that clear several times, and then, you know, never more clearly, you know, publicly at least, than he did uh, last week after the season wrapped up, and he talked about his satisfaction with the season, his, his uh, you know, kind of pride at, at being um, uh, an acknowledged leader of this team and uh, in, in, in being invested in the, in the growth and, uh, and laying this foundation along with, with Casey. You know, when we do the whole what's next discussion, I think it's pretty simple. It's pretty easy to say what's next is Dwayne Casey's untouchable. He's not going anywhere. Blake Griffin's untouchable. He's not going anywhere. And I think this franchise really likes Luke Kennard. And and, and I'm not saying all bets are off and everybody else, but is that sort of the, I'm not saying a big three, but is that kind of the foundation pieces that you know will be back 100%? And do you, do you loop Andre Drummond in that mix too? Well, I, I, yeah, I would, I'd be, he would definitely be the next one in, Um, you know, and it starts on the top. I mean, Tom Gores is is clearly a a fan of Andre Drummond, has been all along. Drummond has done nothing but show year over year improvement. You know, no one is, uh, look, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure less than two years ago, people in Clipperland would have said Blake is untouchable. He had just signed a five-year, 170-some million dollar contract, and less than a year into it, he was wearing a Pistons uniform. So, yeah, I mean, I would be, I, I wouldn't rule out I wouldn't rule out a trade of Drummond this summer, but I would bet very heavily against it. So, yeah, I think uh, those are your building blocks, and, and I think you got it right. It's, it's Blake, it's Luke, it's 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 Andre. So, and Dwayne Casey, or yeah, clearly isn't going anywhere. The Pistons were, you know, uh, by their own admission, they they when they let Stan Van Gundy go about a year ago. Now they they really didn't know where it would end up and and they were it was kind of fortunate timing that that casey was available but that was a you know very uh, propitious hiring and it's they feel just as strongly if not stronger about it today than they than they did then so yeah that, that's 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 the uh that's the core right there and then a lot of young players uh Certainly, five young players on rookie contracts that they expect to to, to improve next year, and, and 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 if you look at the four paths that the team can get better uh, over the course of a, an off season, internal improvement, draft, free agency, and trades, I would I would rank internal improvement as the most likely means of improvement. So, and that will start with Canard. I think the Canard we saw after the All Star break, uh, you know, he averaged a little over eight points a game before the All Star break, and almost twelve points a game after it. You know, he's an, an elite three point shooter. He became a, a more confident, assertive player down the stretch, and then in the playoffs, fifteen points a game. So I think we're going to see him take a leap. I think Bruce Brown will come back a better player. Um, and kind of intrigued to see what uh, Steve McIlla can be because I think he's got a lot of those Canard qualities. A guy. With a little more size, even, and he could be part of the problem. You look at the roster; the, the obvious position of need is small forward. He can be part of the solution there at six eight with, with ball handling and potential elite three point shooting ability. 
Um, you know, and, and Kyrie Thomas and Thon Maker also in that mix. Keith Langloy, Pistons.com, with me here on Wired for another week here, the Pistons podcast. Uh, you, you mentioned Svee before, and obviously Thon Maker, an internal improvement, and a lot of that is due to the fact, like you said, Keith, still another year here with some contracts kind of on the books that are, are, are tough to move. Uh, what's the secret behind the sauce with Dwayne Casey, in your mind, being around him, where he can get these guys better for next year? Well, I think, you know, you saw in Toronto where they took a lot of uh, second-round picks, undrafted guys, and cobbled together the best bench unit in the league. I think the thing with Casey is, you know, a lot of coaches will pay lip service to young guys putting in the work, and, and then if you if you do that and, and show you can play, I'll play you. But when a push comes to shove, they're always going to default to veterans, right? Even though they're even though their upside is not going to be many times isn't as great they are more of a known quantity and you know okay i might not get 20 points uh, if i roll this guy out there but i probably won't get zero it's going to be you know more of a consistent thing i know what i can get with the young guys it can be a little more up and down and casey's more willing than most coaches and certainly more more most veteran coaches he's been around the nba for you know almost i think about 25 years now he's more willing than most guys of that ilk to live with the growing pains and and the payoff certainly in toronto was they developed a lot of guys i mean you look up and down pascal siakam fred van vliet on and on and on you know those guys uh those guys uh, exceeded expectations um and that's why they, they developed you know one of the deepest teams in, in the league so that, that you know and, and then the other thing with casey i think not just not just the confidence with young players but the ability to to earn the respect of players up and down the roster um you know the, the, one of the, the the finest line that coaches have to walk is being demanding without without kind of alienating players about as well as uh, you know I mean I, I go back to Chuck Daly with this franchise who was the absolute master at those types of things and it was a different era and players had different expectations too but Casey really does that well in, in an era when it's probably tougher than ever to do Alright Keith uh, the point guard position let's start there uh, crystal balling it a little bit certainly Reggie Jackson another year on his deal Ish Smith the free agent kind of be difficult to sign and bring back based on where the numbers are with the cap and Tom Gores has said and and you were standing right there. I saw you standing next to him when he said, "Look, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll we'll go into the tax if we have to. If you had to look ahead to where that position will be, you know, I'm not saying this time next year, but let's say September, October. What are you What are you thinking? Well, I got Reggie Jackson for one more year, and then you know, both Ish Smith and Jose Calderon free agents. Um, it's interesting because they are going to, but given the cap situation. They're, and you look at their what resources they have available to them, right? And, and their roster needs. So the the biggest resource they have available to them, uh, other than the, the you know the, they got the 15th pick in the draft. I I, don't, I wouldn't even if this draft was considered strong and deep, which you know most experts say isn't necessarily the case. I don't think you'd bank on the 15th pick coming in and and being an instant contributor. So. The mid-level exception, $9.25 million is their best tool. They can spend that on one player or they can split it up over a couple. Um, I, you know, you can you can argue every scenario, but if you think, well, okay, what do we need most? Reggie Jackson played 82 games this year. He's got one year left. I think I would guess that they're going to try to 
cobble the point guard position together for next season and worry about the future of that position next summer when they'll have a lot of cap space. For this year, I think the most immediate need might be that wing position, a player of size. Yeah. You know, they, they traded away Stanley Johnson and Reggie Bullock at the trade deadline. They kind of, you know, for that stretch drive, they made do with Wayne Ellington and Luke Kennard, a couple of six five guys guarding. Usually, you know, they were guarding up most nights, and, and that, that's precarious. And, and I think, it, you know, you could see how it exposed them a little bit in the playoffs, too. They got they got pounded on the glass uh, by, by, you know, pretty much I think it was about almost 10 a game over the course of that series against Milwaukee so they need they need an upgrade at, at that uh, you know in, in size and in, in depth and, and hopefully in quality of play at that position so you can get a really good player for 9.25 million if you go back and look at uh, some of the guys who signed in that range last year you know guys like Julius Randle uh, got two years and 18 million that's that's you know that's the kind of quality of player you can reasonably expect to get so that, that if I had to bet that's what I would think that they will you know try to get a, a, a a point guard by hook or by crook. They've got the biannual exception of 3.6 million. Um, you know, maybe they'll try to, to, to split that mid-level up over the two positions. But I, I think you got to, I think you first got to address getting more size at that uh, small forward position. And then, you know, hope, hope Reggie can not only stay healthy again next year, but kind of, he, he felt that he was, his body was feeling much better as the season went on after having two idle summers. So if he, he'll go into this off season healthy, hopefully he comes back better, you know, as the closer to the 2015, 16 Reggie Jackson, a top 10 type point guard. And if they can expect that level of play from him, get a upgrade that small forward position. I think, you know, that's, you can add, that's certainly a viable option. I'm not sure it's the one they'll take, but it, it, it makes sense. And I that wouldn't be surprised if that's the route they take. Keith Langloy with me from Pistons.com. I mentioned Ish Smith before. If you had to put a percentage chance on him coming back, what, where, where would you pencil that for right now? Yeah, probably a little bit south of 50. I mean, I, he's definitely interested in coming back. Um, it, but it's just you, you never know with free agency, right? I mean, it, 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 and three years ago, Ish Smith had a deal struck with the Pistons before his son came up on July 1st. So... Uh, <laughs> Who's going to call him? I don't know. You'd have to go and look at every team's depth chart and every team's cap space to kind of figure out where a logical fit would be. Um, So he's definitely interested in coming back. I would think that certainly the business would be interested. I'm not saying he would be number one on the first call they'll make, but I would certainly think Ish is on their short list for to come back and fill that role for familiarity and, and everything else. You know, there's pros and cons. Ish is going to be 31. He's an undersized point guard who relies heavily on quickness, and and will that diminish at all going forward? He he took more threes by more than twice as many per 36 minutes this year than he did last season, but shot them more poorly in an offense that, you know, that is designed to create open three point shots. Now he does create open three point shots with his penetration skill. He just doesn't, he, he's not going to be a three point threat himself. So, you know, I, I think that, I think the Pistons would be perfectly happy to have him back. But again, if they could address that position with someone who, would be a little bit more of a longer-term solution with Reggie Jackson about to hit the free agency a year from now, then that's something they might look at, too. It's going to be – those are critical decisions, and those are the things you can bet that it's Stefanski and his cabinet, along with Casey and his his coaches, will be 
talking about you know very much over the next uh, couple of months you're heading into july it's incredible how much run the, the the stat of when ish smith plays or when ish smith doesn't play and is injured and the one loss record it was out there because he was a valuable piece to this team but like you said keith the lack of size in terms of length you know, an undersized guy that's not shooting threes all that well. When in in reality, Dwayne Casey wants him to shoot more threes, and and, and you know, and they didn't make enough this year to obviously make a, a deeper run, which which they wanted to do. Uh, you know, certainly kind of precludes them. It, it's a tough call because, like you said, there were some games that Smith out there was one of the best players on the floor. So it's 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 a conundrum, but I think it's one where I I think you and I both know Ed Stefanski and his staff. They're pretty darn good, and I think that you know, creatively with Svi and and Thon Maker this the, the, at the deadline, I like what they did there, and they kind of have to do the same thing this offseason, don't they? Yeah, I mean, he's he's you know, you're right that Ed has done very well with limited resources in his uh, less than a year, about, about a year on the job now. Going into the draft, you know, he traded two future second round picks to get. Kyrie Thomas at 38. Now, you know, I mean, there's a, all second round picks are not created equal. And the second round pick in that top 10 in the second round is a, is a pretty valuable pick. And last year's draft was very deep. A lot of guys thought both Kyrie Thomas and Bruce Brown were going to go in the first round because there were a lot, you know, once from probably like 15 to 45 in last year's draft, you could have thrown a net over those guys as far as quality. So in, in a different year, both of those guys might have been first round picks. So, the two future second rounders, he hopes the Pistons are good enough. Those are going to be, you know, 45 to 60 picks, not nearly as valuable as what they got for Kyrie. Uh, at the trade deadline, he took uh, Bullock and Stanley Johnson headed for free agency, and with their needs, no no guarantee they were going to be able to retain them and turn, turned them into two guys who became, you know, one became an instant rotation piece, and they're, they're really high on, on Mikhailik. They think that, you know, at 6'8", with the ability to put the ball on the floor and shoot, you know, some some canard-like qualities there, that he can he can be a nice piece going forward. And, uh, you know, Thon Maker, you know, he's, he's, he, he has some very pronounced strengths and some very obvious areas of, uh, of improvement needed. But if he can make even incremental grains, gains in the, uh, uh, on some of the things he needs to do better, um, yeah, he's a nice piece too, and, and a guy they have control over for you know he'll be on the roster next season, and there was no guarantee Stanley Johnson would have been, or that Stanley would have taken the you know the steps needed to to be to become the players that, that they envisioned he, he might have been someday. So yeah, he's done he's done very well with limited resources, and he's going to have to do that again this summer, and then you know next summer cap space opens up, and they can really uh, be more aggressive about remaking the roster with another year of uh, you know. In the meantime, they get another year of observation of all these young guys to know to know better what they have and what they need. Do you think it'll be, I don't want to say difficult, but in terms of making a deal to dump one of these contracts, easy, difficult? I don't know. I'm, I think I'm with you, Keith. I think you'll probably say the same thing I'm saying. It's hard to tell because you know some free agent summers you go, what is all this money being thrown around with all these average players? And then the next summer, it's oh, guys have been you know waiting in the wings and not signing yet. So it's tough to tell. But you know that's that that'll be kind of difficult to to kind of envision in, in, in crystal ball right now, right? Well, exactly. And you know, it, it, with every day that passes, the, those contracts become easier to move, though. And you know, like John Lewis going into the last year of his deal, I, 
I still think John Luer has some utility. You know, he was a good player that first season here, got hurt very early in the second year, got hurt again last summer before training camp, was never right. Um, it, again, like Reggie Jackson, goes into the summer healthy now. If they can get, uh, if, if Luer comes back in training camp, shows he can help, he, he, could, he could really fit into the rotation here pretty easily. And, more so than that, though, if, if he does that, if he shows that he's still the John Lohr that you know that the Pistons signed in summer of 2016, with with one year and then as the season goes on, less than a year of a contract left, he becomes a very easy to move piece, um, and and that would certainly not be. So I don't think he'll get moved this summer. I, I can't imagine that, but during the course of the season, it becomes something that that could be moved, and and then you know the. the the kind of trade we rarely see anymore in the NBA is, is a pure talent for talent trade. It's always about somebody's looking to offload money and somebody's looking to acquire assets, so future assets, right? So, uh, yeah, anything becomes possible. Then uh, someone might have a, a guy making a similar annual salary to, to lure that they want to move who has a more on their contract and is more certain, a more certain fit for the roster than John. So, yeah, I mean, that, that, you're right. You never know. I, I, it, it, I do. What I do know is it's a lot more probable that Lures, uh, you're able to move that contract this year than you were 12 months ago. Final thing for Keith Langloy of Pistons.com. I know some fans are, are, are excited because it is the Ed Stefanski, Malik Rose, Pat Garrity chance and crack at a first-round pick. Didn't have one last summer. And, you know, we could go through the history of the stand thing and play the Donovan Mitchell game, and that's, that's been played. Uh, but, at, but, at, but at 15, you know, you're right. It, I'm not saying they're going to find their Giannis there, but, man, it's it, some different eyes and some different ears on this, this class, and they got to hope that they can find somebody. Yeah, it is, uh, you know, I, I've, I've started to look a little bit at, at the draft since the playoffs ended, and it seems to me that there's a bunch of guys in that range that, you know, right now that look like they might be going, uh, you know, from 10 to 20 that are like a lot of uh, swing and miss types. Like yeah. some guys you might hit on that could just be lights out and, uh, but also might, might not have their third year option picked up. So, but you know, if you hit on one of those guys, you know, like, like Giannis, uh, there's certainly no one quite as mysterious or enigmatic as him in this draft, but there are some guys who are high upside guys who, who and, and I'm, certain that one or two or three of them will be on the board at 15 so that's the hard work of being at Stefanski and Greg Polinski and you know the inner circle right now is kind of drilling deep to figure out why guys like Nasir Little and Romeo Langford who went into the season looking like top five six picks are now considered you know 50 50 to be there at 15 and was it uh, just uh, was it a matter of system fit was it a matter of a game being more geared to the nda than than ncaa so that you know the, the, the that work has has certainly they watch those guys all year they will watch their tape endlessly they will discuss it and then then phase two of that will start at the combine in two weeks and proceed from there so yeah i, I think there's look i mean uh, stavansky has a pretty good tra- track record in the draft and even though we say that the consensus is it's not a great draft 
that just means that there's going to be some more hits and misses than than you'd like in the than the first round. But there will see. I guarantee you, there's going to be a player pick fifteenth or later that we talk about next year, saying that looks like a future all star. And if they can if they can be the ones to find that guy, then you know that the, then then bully for them. And and obviously that sets them up uh, much better for, for next season and beyond. Keith, it was a pleasure, my friend. Good to uh, catch up. Thanks so much. Thanks, Matt. Anytime. Special thanks to Keith Langloy. Certainly read his stuff at Pistons.com. Check him out on Twitter and everything else. And Keith brings up a great point about that 15th pick. Because if you go to some of these uh, you know draft websites right now and, and you look at and where players are projected, uh, you know, NBA draft... Uh, um, uh, you know, nbadraft.net, which is always fun because it's a site that's up 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And you look at who they have projected in their mock draft at number 15. Just, just you know, just to throw it out there, um, they have a kid from France named Sekou Domboya, who would be the Pistons pick at 15. But players around 15, as Keith pointed out, a guy like Nasir Little from North Carolina. Uh, Romeo Lankford from Indiana, and Keith mentioned Romeo. If Romeo was as good as he's supposed to be, wouldn't Indiana have made the NCAA tournament? Not knocking the kid. He's 18, 19 years of age, but I was a little bit underwhelmed by Romeo uh, uh, Lankford this past year. Uh, Keldon Johnson, uh, you know, a one-year guy at Kentucky that didn't play all that much. Uh, uh, Charles Bassey from Western Kentucky. Tyler Hero from Kentucky. Daniel Gafford from Arkansas, um, you know, Nikel Alexander, who I like a lot, uh, Alexander Walker, who I like a lot from uh, Virginia Tech, but, you know, he's a 6'5 shooting guard. Um, you know, this draft outside of Zion and John Morant and probably R.J. Barrett, then it's a crapshoot when you go numbers four all the way down. You know, Bull Bull loved him at Oregon. Seven foot two guy that can do it all, got hurt. He's projected to go 18th to Indiana. That's not a player. The, the Pistons feel like they have a player like Bol Bol already in Thon Maker. So, you know, at 15, it's probably not going to be somebody that's going to be a heavy-duty rotational player in year one. And I know that frustrates Pistons fans, but this draft, again, outside of the so top-heavy with Zion and Ja and maybe R.J. Barrett and you know you could throw DeAndre Hunter maybe and, and and Cam Reddish in the mix, but even Cam Reddish is no is no lock to be a terrific NBA player. All right, thanks to Keith Langloy. Thanks to you guys for listening here another week of Wired in the Books. My name is Matt Derry. We're presented to you by Jeep. We'll talk to you again soon.